1: This is Deep State Radio, coming to you direct from our super-secret studio in the third sub-basement of the Ministry of SNARK in Washington, D.C., and from other undisclosed locations across America and around the world. Hello, and welcome to another episode of National Security Magazine. I'm very uh, pleased that on this episode we are joined by Uh, Leon Panetta, former Secretary of Defense, former Director of Central Intelligence, longtime member of Congress, who uh, clearly has unique perspectives on a lot of the issues that we are uh, facing today. Uh, Ultimately, I'd like to get into a bit of a discussion about um, Secretary Panetta's views on some of the threats we're facing. But naturally, I think we need to begin with uh, the news uh, uh, the news of the day, the current concerns about uh, the phone call that uh, or phone calls that President uh, Trump had with the President of Ukraine, uh, the uh, whistleblower complaint that we will uh, I believe soon see uh, and and, and I'd, I'd just like to begin by taking a step back uh, Mr. Secretary and asking you what's your perspective?
0: Well, thank thank you for uh, David for having me. Um, I think I think this is a, a serious moment uh, for the country. Uh, you know, we've been through uh, uh, two years of uh, roller coaster ride, uh, and uh, a lot of things have happened. But uh, this is uh, this is a very serious uh, allegation uh, that uh, the president of the United States uh, used uh, a national security issue uh, and uh, try to withhold aid to Lithuania uh, in exchange for them uh, doing a, an investigation of a political uh, opponent uh, like Joe Biden. Uh, and the transcript that was released today uh, obviously confirms uh, uh, the, uh, the discussion uh, and that uh, Joe Biden was kind of a centerpiece of that uh, conversation along with the the military aid that was being provided to the Ukraine. So I think what it does is it requires, obviously, uh, a thorough investigation by the Congress uh, and uh, uh, to determine, uh, again, the facts here, to uh, look at the whistleblower's complaint, uh, and to uh, be able to hear from other witnesses uh, who might be able to uh, shed additional light Uh, on this issue, but it is a serious allegation, uh, and I think it has to be taken seriously based on the evidence that was released by the president himself.
1: Yes, looking at that evidence, it's hard to understand how the president thought it was exculpatory. Uh, There's been a focus in Republican talking points about how there was no quid pro quo, but it seemed quite clear that there actually was. The president was asked To provide the aid and the president said well i'd like to ask you a favor immediately thereafter uh, and then went into this uh, discussion about an investigation this has had a galvanizing effect on democrats in the house of representatives including uh, many who have been hesitant to move forward with an impeachment investigation a more formal one Um, i note uh, uh, that uh, I, i recently saw your son talking about this member of congress um, shortly after, I, I might add, I saw you talking about it at MSNBC. You're dominating the news cycle today, your family. <laughs> um, but but uh, he seems to have come around. Uh, Speaker Pelosi seems to have um, come around. Uh, what is it about this particular allegation that sets it apart from all the other allegations that we've heard, after all? Um this is not even the first time that the president is credibly accused of asking a foreign government for help. Indeed, in 2016, he got on television and asked the Russians for help. And, and subsequently, Robert Mueller uh, documented 150 instances of Trump campaign interaction with, uh, with Russia. And we've seen rather extraordinary policies from this administration with regard to Russia. Um, uh, whether it's uh, the president's deference to Vladimir Putin or uh, policies with regard to Syria or policies with regard to the INF Treaty or policies with regard to Ukraine, uh, the, the Russians certainly seem to have benefited from the Trump presidency. And there have been a whole set of other cases, and none of, including Mueller's assertion that there were 10 instances of obstruction of justice. And none of these seem to quite get all the Democrats across the line. But right now, I think as we record this, we're at two hundred and seventeen Democrats who said they support impeachment. Two hundred and eighteen is the number you need to actually pass articles of impeachment in the House. so we're we're just about there. what What makes this moment different? Is it cumulative or is it something about this story? Uh,
0: well, you know, there's no question that, uh Part of it is cumulative, just based on uh, the behavior of the president uh, over these last uh, two years and two or three years, and uh, the, the things he said and the things he's done, and uh, you know obviously uh, the elements that were part of the Mueller investigation. Uh, but a lot of those uh, elements, obviously, uh, were subject to uh, a lot of questioning, uh, even by Mueller himself, uh, which uh, who produced a, a report that uh, you know did not come clearly down on the issue of uh, obstruction, although he found that, uh, you know, that, uh, uh, that uh, they had not uh, directly found the president innocent of the issue of obstruction, but it left a lot of questions. So I think what, what this did is uh, pro- provide the smoking gun uh, of a president who is clearly saying to uh, another government, as president, I mean, he's not a a candidate now. He is president of the United States. And he's talking to uh, the leader of the Ukraine. Uh, And uh, even prior to that conversation, uh, he had already directed withholding aid to the Ukraine, even though that money had been provided, and even though we knew that uh, it was important to the Ukraine in order to deal with the challenges from Russia. Uh, and there was a great deal of political pressure to have him uh, release those uh, uh, th- that uh, military aid. Um, but suddenly now you have the actual transcript. Of course, it began with a whistleblower's complaint. Uh, and the, uh, a whistleblower's complaint that the IG, the inspector general, had found both uh, both credible and urgent uh, and and urged the DNI, uh, the Director of National Intelligence, to present it to the intelligence committees. Uh, so, we clearly now have the transcript itself of that conversation, and it's clear from the, from the conversation that a uh, focal point of the president is to get the president to uh, begin conducting an investigation uh, into uh, Joe Biden and his uh, relationships uh, there in the Ukraine, and that uh, he does say, uh, do me a favor, particularly after the president talks about the importance of military aid. He says, yes, but uh, I, need, I need a favor. Uh, and then goes on to uh, again repeat the request to uh, have this investigation conducted that's a uh, that is uh, for all intents and purposes a smoking gun uh, of uh, of the violation of this president of his oath of office and the abuse of power and so uh, i think it's that uh, the cumulative uh, effect of uh, you know, a number of uh, things that this president has done that have crossed the line or appeared to cross the line, his kind of disregard uh, for uh, uh, the values of the Office of the Presidency generally, uh, and then to have something like this nail down uh, the the actual act itself, I, I think it, it all requires now that we have to do something to hold the president of the United States accountable if a president uh, is not above the law then clearly uh, we have to uh, certainly have an investigation to determine whether or not this was the case and what uh, what uh, what steps need to be taken to make sure that future presidents will not conduct themselves in the same manner
1: so one of the themes of the Trump administration, uh, intentionally or otherwise, uh, has centered on conflicts between the president of the United States and the intelligence community. He has had a uh, a, a tough relationship with them since he took office. Um, And right at the center of this, you have the acting director of national intelligence, not complying with the law as required and actually passing on the whistleblower's report uh, immediately because it contained a matter of urgent concern, uh, but rather turning to the Department of Justice, which does what it does in this administration and finds a way to protect the president. Um, and uh, this has caused some controversy um, around the acting director, uh, uh, Joseph McGuire. He's now going to testify tomorrow on Capitol Hill. Apparently, there has been some back and forth so that he is able to testify openly um, on this. And he's made some statements that were a little bit defensive of the whistleblower versus, you know, White House, part, you know, attacking the whistleblower as being a partisan. Um, But it goes to a broader issue. In the past several weeks, we've had on this podcast conversations with um, Jim Clapper, with uh, uh, Mike Hayden, with uh, Mike Morrell, um, all of whom have said they've never really seen relations with the intelligence community as bad as they are right now. And of course, we live in a time in which there's a host of threats um, that the intelligence uh, community is vital um, uh, in, in, in ensuring, you know, American security. Uh, and I'm just wondering, as a former um, director of Central Intelligence, what your perspective is on that relationship right now?
0: Well, there's no question that it uh, it raises uh, a lot of serious concerns about uh, uh, the president uh, and the intelligence community that goes back to even uh, before he was president. Um, the responsibility of the intelligence community uh, is to present truth to power. Uh, that's what they're. That's what they're uh, obligated to do, uh, and uh, it's to provide the truth. It's to provide intelligence uh, to the president, uh, and uh, that intelligence uh, is uh, obviously provided so that the president can make decisions uh, involving uh, the uh, national security issues that face the country. Every other president has welcomed uh, that intelligence. Uh, they've, they've asked questions, they've uh, challenged uh, sources, uh, but uh, they they have used uh, the intelligence that has been provided in order to make the right decisions with regards to our national security. This was the first president uh, in my history, a uh, 50-year you know, history of uh, having been involved in in public policy, that a president of the United States uh, question uh, the intelligence community and what they were presenting presenting—I—I I would never, never in my life uh, imagine a president who would stand up uh, next to Putin uh, at a press conference and say that he trusted uh, Russian intelligence uh, more than he trusted our own intelligence when it came to uh, election interference. That is just astounding that he would uh, that he would say such a thing. Uh, and in the end, obviously. Uh, It does damage morale in the intelligence community, but these are professionals. These are not Democrats or Republicans. These are people who put their lives on the line in order to gather uh, critical intelligence. Uh, And they're gonna continue to do that job. And if the president uh, were halfway smart, uh, he would listen to the intelligence, particularly in dealing with the flashpoints that we have in the world today, whether it's ISIS or terrorism, whether it's failed states in the Middle East, whether it's Iran, whether it's North Korea, whether it's Russia, whether it's China, whether it's cyber, uh, all of those countless uh, flashpoints that uh, threaten our security. In order to understand those issues, in order to deal with those issues, there is no alternative but to have a president pay attention to the intelligence that uh, is being provided.
1: Well, I think part of the problem that we have faced here is that the president views uh, the intelligence community potentially as a threat, if not to him directly, then to his credibility. And that started with the 2016 campaign and his involvement with the Russians and the fact that that involvement was um, uh, uh, followed by, exposed uh, to some degree, by people within the intelligence community when i have spoken recently with people like you know mike morrell or, or jim clapper both of them have said they expect more intervention in the 2020 election than we saw in the 2016 election they expect not only the russians uh, but perhaps the chinese perhaps the iranians perhaps the north koreans in part that's because they have seen the consequences for that kind of in- intervention on the downside, are very limited because the president's apparently sort of laid laid out a roadmap for how how you do it without there being consequences. And the upside consequences, particularly if President uh, Trump knows you're you're trying to help them, are actually quite high. Uh, And this Ukraine story, of course, underscores that. Um, Do you worry that we are actually setting ourselves up for greater problems in the election cycle to come?
0: No, I don't think there's any question. I mean, if you're, if you're, uh, if you're Putin uh, and uh, uh, you're looking at uh, your principal objective, which is to disrupt the United States of America and do everything necessary to weaken uh, our democracy, Uh, If you look at what the Russians did, uh, and pretty much confirmed, not only by the intelligence agencies, but by the the Mueller report itself, Uh, if you look at what what was done and the impact that that had on our election cycle, and those who continue to say that the Russians not only uh, have used uh, the same uh, cyber capabilities uh, in 2018, but are, again, going to... Uh, attack our election system in 2020. Uh, Why? Because it works. Because it disrupts our country. It disrupts our politics. Uh, It creates confusion. I mean, Putin, uh, I'm sure, is uh, an adversary who's sitting back and looking at what just happened uh, with this president and what's happening with our country. Uh, And uh, he's sitting back and saying, uh, it works. It works. The things we've been doing have been very effective at uh, disrupting the American democracy. Uh, and so you, you're damn you're damn right he's going to continue uh, those efforts. And uh, he isn't alone. Uh, it also uh, encourages uh, countries like China and Iran uh, and North Korea and other adversaries to do exactly the same thing. Because... It is clear that we are vulnerable. Uh, we've been used, uh, and we have a president who, frankly, has denied uh, that uh, that has happened uh, and ignores it and doesn't doesn't defend the country uh, as he should, because this is in essence an attack uh, on our democratic institutions, and it requires the president and the leadership of this country uh, to stand up and do everything necessary to make sure it doesn't happen.
1: Um, one of the, the, the dimensions of this that clearly has Putin sitting back in his chair and smiling is that it's kind of the gift that keeps on giving. It's not just uh, that uh, they got the election outcome that they wanted or that they got the division that they wanted, but the, the Trump administration has embraced policies towards um, uh, Russia, that are unlike the policies towards Russia of any American president since the end of the Second World War. And there are a lot of examples of it, but there was just one today. It was kind of extraordinary. The president was meeting with uh, 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 Vladimir Zelensky, the president of Ukraine, um, in this fraught press conference because of all the the discussions around the whistleblower um, issue. And nonetheless, the president essentially was straight on Kremlin talking point, saying, you know, I really wish you would work this thing out. I know that Vladimir Putin, President Putin, would really be happy if you two could work this thing out, minimizing the invasion of Crimea, which, of course, was one of the great sources of tension in that relationship, and instead sort of advancing the Kremlin um, view. He also, by the way, did not... Um, uh, ascribe responsibility for the Crimea situation to Putin. Instead, he said, that didn't happen on my watch. That was on Obama's watch. And this is something he's done consistently, is he said, oh, Crimea, Obama did that, not Putin did that. And of course, we've seen other circumstances like this. So the president essentially given uh, Russia the lead in Syria. The president has... um, uh advanced Russian goals with regard to uh, NATO, by undermining NATO and undermining the EU, attacking the alliances. Um, in, in fact, in the transcript with uh, uh, Zelensky, we also saw him attacking Angela Merkel, uh, a, a, our most critical partner in NATO, uh, the Chancellor of Germany, um, he, the the president has stepped away from the Intermediate Nuclear Forces treaty, which was, uh, you know, a, a centerpiece achievement um, uh, that a number of presidents have seen as vital to the relationship, and by pulling away from it. It uh, doesn't just benefit arms manufacturers in the U.S., but it does give more latitude to the Russians. You, 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 as you pointed out, you've had a long career of dealing with these issues. Um, do you agree with the assessment that this is an extraordinary pattern of support for the Russians?
0: Oh, I don't think there's any question that, uh, that that's been the case. Most, uh, most presidents, and I've served under nine presidents, all of them recognized Russia and the threat that russia constituted to the united states and that they were an adversary uh... and they were an adversary uh... whose primary interest was to uh, weaken the united states uh... there isn't a president before this president who did not uh... recognize russia uh... and uh, certainly putin when he came into power as a threat uh... to the united states uh, this president uh, obviously you know, tied in part to uh, uh, the Russians having worked to uh, help him get elected, uh, and uh, even though you know uh, we we can't nail down whether it uh, directly uh, elected this president, there's no question that the Russians uh, in going into the election in 2016 uh, did everything they could uh, to undermine our our democracy and our institutions and. Uh, and it's pretty clear from uh, the intelligence that they were doing it in order to get Trump elected. And uh, Trump, uh, whether it's uh, financial relationships with Russia, whether it's these election relationships, uh, I think recognizes that uh, in some ways he owes uh, he owes something to uh, Russia. Uh, and the, the the consequence of that is that. When he, in fact, sits down with Putin, it raises a lot of questions about just exactly what is this president discussing with Putin. He doesn't bring in uh, others. He wants to meet one-on-one with Putin. Uh, That's unheard of. Uh, Most presidents have had secretaries uh, of state. Uh, They've had uh, other uh, key aides uh, as part of those meetings. They've taken notes uh, in those meetings, uh, transcribed what those meetings have been about. Uh, there isn't a president uh, that has met with a, an adversary like Russia uh, and not had a readout uh, of those meetings for the American people and for the Congress. This is the first president who hasn't done that. Uh, so. This president is meeting, uh, you know, alone with the president. He winks at the president when they do a press conference. It's pretty clear that this president bends over backward to um, to cater uh, to Putin in those uh, meetings. He 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 doesn't want to uh, say anything that uh, uh, that reflects uh, what Russia is doing, whether it's in the Crimea or the Ukraine or Syria. Uh, or uh, NATO, or, uh, uh, or, or the election uh, interference itself. He doesn't want to acknowledge that publicly in front of Putin. Uh, and so he winds up uh, being almost uh, a puppet of uh, Putin in those conversations. So put all of that together, and it raises a great deal of concerns about uh, the relationship, and it raises a great deal of concerns, frankly, for those of us in the United States who know that our national security in large measure is dependent on an awareness of what Russia is doing uh, and uh, the ability to take steps to make sure that uh, the United States is not vulnerable uh, to uh, to the Russians. That That is what the United States should be doing, uh, and unfortunately that's not happening.
1: So one of the things um, that has struck me about this administration's foreign policy, uh, and its national security policy as a subset of that, that is so different, not just to presidents of the past 50 years and all those that you have served, but different from all US policy since the end of the Second World War, is the systematic uh, attack on the international system, the President began by getting out of the Paris Accords, by getting out of TPP, um, by um, making a sort of frontal attack on NATO. Um, he has uh, uh, decided not to fund and uh, certain UN organizations. Uh, he has made repeated speeches against multilateralism. Uh, this week, he made a speech uh, attacking globalism and 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 essentially saying the country needs to uh, focus on its own issues. he's it, sort of gone back to to what I, I, I characterize as a kind of gated community view of the United States and the world, which is distrustful of the world and let's move behind our borders. Everything we do outside of those borders is transactional. Um, and uh, let's you know focus it, you know it's a very nationalistic um, agenda and it, it it's undercuts American leadership in a number of of, of, of critical ways. Um, and you know one of the things interesting, and by the way when I introduced you um, in the interest of brevity, I didn't list all of the jobs that you had and of course, um, you were also White House chief of staff and you uh, oversaw um, how the different parts of the government come together. Uh, and you know it's, it's kind of interesting to me that the government itself is also beginning to atrophy, in the areas that normally deal with the international community. So we have the least qualified um, uh, UN ambassador in our history. For the first time in our history, it's been made a purely uh, political appointment uh, to to a woman who's the wife of a big donor, a coal coal baron. And uh, we have the least qualified by far national security advisor in US history. Uh, And I think that's been intentional because every time the president has a national security advisor uh, who offers an opinion that's different from his own, it makes him very comfortable. We have this tension with the intelligence community. So, you know, US, UN minimized. National Security Council minimized. In fact, we don't really have deputies and principals meetings as we once did, Um, certainly in the frequency that we once did. Relationship with the intelligence community has been marginalized. The relationship with the Department of Defense um, uh, reflects the background of a lot of the appointments that have been made there, and is primarily focused on, you know, sort of the military industrial side of the equation, you know, the defense spending and 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 new projects that 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 create business for defense contractors. And of course, the Secretary of State has been cited as somebody not uh, advancing a particularly knowledgeable, um, or principled U.S. foreign policy, but rather um, as someone who has um, been described as a, as, a, as a kind of a sycophant and a, a, you know, a, 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 a Trump supporter. Um, and that's his most notice- notable contribution, is that he goes out and does the president's bidding. So the president doesn't really have advisors and doesn't really have the connections to the international community. Uh, that we typically see. That to me is disturbing because, you know, it's a reversal of the entire era of, of of U.S. leadership in the world, and that and could have consequences, particularly if the president is reelected for U.S. leadership going forward. And I'm wondering if, if you see it that way, if that concerns you uh, or not.
0: Well, uh, it, it, this is. Uh... This period, uh, I think, has resurrected um, the importance of learning uh, the lessons of history. Uh, you know, prior prior to uh, World War II, uh, there was the same attitude about uh, America first, about focusing on America and trying to ignore the rest of the world and not getting dragged into dealing with those problems. Uh, uh, we had uh, the whole issue of uh, uh, basically not wanting to engage in trade with the rest of the world, smoot uh and uh, trying to, again, go it alone. Uh, and we, we paid the price. We paid the price for that uh, because ultimately uh, the threat from uh, – from Nazism, uh, the threat from authoritarian governments, uh, and what they did in Europe um, ultimately was a threat to our national security. Uh, and after, after world, world War II, uh, we recognized that uh, we had to exert a world leadership in the world. And uh, we worked together with alliances, building building NATO, building other alliances to make sure that we would not repeat the same mistakes uh, that brought us into World War II. Uh, and it worked, very frankly. I mean, uh, those alliances paid off. NATO paid off. Uh, ultimately, the Soviet Union uh, crumbled. Uh, and uh, the result was uh, that you know the world was much safer. Uh, and uh, we were at peace. And the United States was helping to provide that leadership. Um, this president comes in, and you know, to some extent, it's not—it's not just on this president. We probably had a period where, where there was a, a reaction to what happened in 9/11, the wars that have gone on, uh, in a sense that uh, you know uh, that we had we had fought uh, too many wars for too long. Um, but what this president did was he basically wrapped it around exactly what we saw uh, before World War II. Uh, calling it America first, he liked he used America first uh, as what his policy was all about when he spoke to the u n this week, he reemphasized the fact that uh, countries need to look inward uh, they they need to uh, look for 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 their patriots they they've got to avoid a globalists uh, and uh, just focus on their own so it's it's this inward approach that uh, you know, that he keeps talking about, and yet um, the problem is that that approach of withdrawing from leadership in the world, which he has done, uh, has has fed into these national security threats that are real uh, in, in the world. Uh, whether you like it or not, we are in a global world. Whether you like it or not, this country that is part of of uh, a global family that's tied together, whether it's financially, whether it's on uh, government uh, exchanges, whether it's built on communications. I mean, we are a global world. We can't ignore that. Uh, but this president is saying, you know, you, you got to ignore that. And so as a result of withdrawing uh, U.S. leadership, uh, what what is the result? The result is that uh, we continue to have uh, terrorism. Uh, as a threat, ISIS. Uh, even though the caliphate uh, was uh, was destroyed, the reality is there are 18 to 20,000 ISIS fighters who are building attack cells uh, and continuing to threaten our country. Uh, there can these these failed states in the Middle East, what happened in Syria, which is a disaster, uh, has has fed in to uh, terrorism. Uh, you know, b- being bred in Libya and elsewhere. Uh, The uh, policy with Iran uh, has failed. I mean, we're in a more dangerous moment with Iran than we've ever been. Uh, And Iran is is indeed threatening uh, additional military action. So this is a dangerous moment with Iran. Uh, North Korea is continuing to build uh, nuclear weapons. They're continuing to develop missiles despite this symmetry that uh, the president thought could, uh, this love fest between him and Kim Jong-un could suddenly blossom into some kind of deal. And it's failed. And so we've got North Korea still as a very real threat. Russia's in it. We are in a, a new chapter of the Cold War with Russia and Putin. Uh, and China, you know, we're we're not only in a trade war, we're having to confront them uh, in, in the China Seas and, and uh, uh, c- continuing to, to deal with that threat as well. And not to mention cyber and the threat from cyber uh, in terms of its ability to paralyze our own country. So area after area represents a, a national security threat to the United States. This president, rather than dealing with those challenges, has torn up agreements, torn up treaties, pulled out of the climate change uh, 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 d- agreement uh, in Paris, pulled out of the TTP, pulled out of the Iran agreement with no strategy as to where we go. Uh, he's basically operated by chaos. Uh, and it, it, he's operated on the basis that if you tear these things up, that somehow uh, we'll find some, some resolution. The reality is in three years, we do not have any significant foreign policy achievement by this president. That's the end result of what this president has done. And so the, the consequences are that we are repeating the mistakes of the 30s, and we're paying the same price in terms of the threat to our national security.
1: You know, as you are talking there, I remember a conversation that we had once when I was doing one of my books, and I asked you something along the lines of, you know, what were the, the kind of threats were security issues that kept you up at night. And um, your response was, you know, on a technical sub-issue of all of these things, which was that you thought if people sort of saw the state of our nuclear arsenal, if they uh, looked into that more carefully, they would be really unsettled. Now, this president has taken an interesting stance with regard to nukes, and I'm not just talking about um, his stance with regard to pulling out of the JCPOA, although that's disturbing, or uh, entering into negotiations with North Korea in which they, in fact, are continuing um, to produce nuclear warheads and test missiles, although that's disturbing. But he's also focused on, quote, modernizing, putting a lot more money into nuclear weapons. And the idea of smaller, um, which, you know, parenthetically is, is a euphemism for more usable, um, if such a thing is imaginable, nuclear weapons. And I'm wondering, you know, is is Donald Trump's response to this, to, to the nuclear issue and nuclear policy, what you had in mind when you talked about we need to re-examine the state of our nuclear arsenal?
0: Well, <laughs> you know, I think the other lesson we've learned um is that in order to be able to deal with these challenges, if we're going to provide leadership uh, you know for ourselves and for the rest of the world, it requires that we have strong diplomacy. It requires that we engage with other countries. It requires the patience and determination to uh, bring people who are uh, who have the experience, who have the knowledge, uh, who have the capability to be able to deal. Uh, with these countries, and at the same time, to be strong, uh, because you don't get much done with diplomacy if you're weak. Uh, and so, it is important that we have a strong military. It is important that uh, you know that that we are a country uh, that has uh, uh, has a nuclear capability uh, that uh, is is uh, is next is second to none. In terms of uh, its capability, uh, so I, I you know I, I agree with uh, uh, with building uh, a strong military and making sure that uh, that our technology is on the cutting edge of the future. But the purpose of that is not to push the button. The purpose of that is to have that strength there to back up our diplomacy and our ability to be able to develop the kind of agreements uh, and negotiations that are critical. Um, That combination is what has made the United States of America a leader. Uh, What we have today is a president who obviously is building up our military and building up our nuclear capability, but what is lacking is the ability to exercise diplomacy to be able to sit down uh, and work out a deal with the Chinese, to be able to sit down and work out a deal with Iran, the ability to sit down and work out a deal with North Korea. Uh, That all requires work. It it requires expertise. It requires uh, a president who's willing to, uh, in fact, empower people uh, to be able to engage in that process. None of that is happening. Uh, and that's why it becomes it becomes out of balance in terms of our national security strategy, because it's built on a president who basically loves to create chaos, loves to challenge uh, others. Uh, you know, in, in dealing with Iran, a uh, great example, uh, we have all of this military power, we're, we're, we're deploying other forces now to Saudi Arabia, but But what he isn't doing is developing what both sides know ultimately has to happen, which is a negotiated agreement. They've got to sit down and work through these issues. Uh, Instead, we are playing with fire now. Uh, And that is what concerns me is that uh, there is no uh, fundamental approach to protecting our national security. It is haphazard. We deal with it on a crisis basis. Uh, and you know, very frankly, we haven't, I don't think we've drafted an overarching uh, approach uh, to, uh, to our foreign policy uh, in years uh, that defines where our national security interests are and how we're going to respond in protecting those interests. So what do we do? We react by crisis. And so we deal with these things ad hoc. And that's a dangerous way to be able to protect the peace of our country.
1: Um, yeah, no, indeed, indeed it is. I, I don't, I, I would never dream of putting words in in your mouth. Um, but as as we come to the end of this interview, I, I, I can't, I can't help but get the impression that the thing that keeps you up nights now as a national security threat is the president of the United States. But, but correct my impression if I'm wrong. Uh, is, there, is there something else that is at the forefront that I'm missing?
0: No, I, I, think, uh, I, I, I think while you, know, can, it, you can identify uh, cyber and you can identify uh, uh, nuclear and you can identify uh, threats like Russia and China and Iran, et cetera, uh, as threats to our security, uh, the biggest problem I sense now is a president who doesn't have uh, the obvious interest or capability or willingness to kind of uh, reach out uh, to those who know these issues, who understand these issues, who could actually help him develop the right policies in these areas. He doesn't want to listen. He doesn't want to uh, read. He doesn't want to sit down and really get the intelligence on these issues. Uh, And the result is that we are our our national security is dependent on the whims of somebody who, very frankly, doesn't want to be serious about how do you resolve these issues that that does scare the hell out of me.
1: Well, I'm sorry to end this on a down note, but I I think this is. You know, where where, where where, a lot of people are coming out right now, I think your comments have been extremely uh, thoughtful, as as they always are, and I think they will be well appreciated by, by our audience. Uh, thank you very much for taking the time to join us. Perhaps we can have you back again um, uh, sometime, Secretary Panetta. Thank you very much. Deep State Radio is a production of the Deep State Radio Network, a division of TRG Interactive Media.